0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want to invite you to open with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This is part three of our 2021 Summer in Psalms. This is our third annual uh, Summer in Psalms. Every summer we look at uh, four or uh, more different psalms. Um, And this is part three. We'll look at one more next week, and then we'll get back into Exodus. Okay, so we're going to be in Psalm 23. You ever read this psalm before? You ever hear of this one? How many of y'all have it on your wall? Y'all liars. <laughs> I said it, all right? Psalm 23, this is what we're going to do. Okay, last week we did a, a responsive reading through Psalm 23. I'm actually going to be preaching out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. It'll be behind me on the screen, but I want us to read it together, all right? From the CSB. And so if you would, I know I just asked you to sit down. Stand up with me in reverence for God's word. It'll be behind me on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. If you're following your King James, it's not going to match up, okay? It's got to be in the CSB, so let's read this together. All right, you guys ready? You think we can do this? All right, let's go. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. It's God's word. May God write eternal truths on all of our hearts. You may be seated. Thank you. You guys did really good. This psalm is no doubt the most well-known. Right of all 150 psalms and is arguably one of the most popular passages in all of Scripture. Would you agree with me on that? Christians and non-Christians alike have heard this psalm many times in their lives and many have even memorized it. Any of you guys have it memorized? How many of you it is hard to not say what you've memorized when, when we read that? And it's, it's well known for a good reason, right? The psalm beautifully and poetically captures what the Lord does for those who are his when, they, when he is their shepherd. The problem, however, is that for the most people in the world, God is not their shepherd. The opening line states, the Lord is my shepherd. But according to Matthew 7, a majority of people do not have God as their shepherd. Something else is shepherding them entirely. And is this not the implication of this psalm doesn't it imply this if god is the psalmist shepherd that means there are other choices for who or what can shepherd each person right the psalmist chooses to be shepherded by god what do you choose most people in our nation are not shepherded by the lord most people in our state are not shepherded by the lord most people in our county are not shepherded by the Lord. Most people in our city are not shepherded by the Lord. No, they are shepherded by something or someone else, and their lives evidence that fact. So you know Psalm 23 well, but do you know the psalm that most people in, their, in our society ascribe to? David Paulson says from Jesus' point of view, there are two fundamentally different ways of doing life. One way, you're connected to a God who's involved in your life. The other way, you're pretty much on your own and disconnected. So he wrote, David Paulson did, what he calls the anti-Psalm 23. The anti-Psalm 23, and it goes like this. Let me read it to you. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark past. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Those are dark and bleak words indeed. Indeed. But the anti-Psalm tells the truth of what life feels like and looks like whenever God vanishes from sight, when anything else is our shepherd. It also helps us to see the beauty of the real Psalm 23 and the glorious reality that through Jesus we can be shepherded by the Lord himself. You remember all that we talked about last week? Remember how we looked at the bigness and the greatness of God and how we traveled through the cosmos and put in perspective how God sovereignly holds all of it in his hands? He's the one who can be your shepherd. You know, think about that. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And you see, look down at your Bible, and you see that word Lord. And it's in all caps in verse 1. Do you see that? Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, the author is referring to God's personal name. The one that he gave Moses at the burning bush. This is more than a title. This is God's personal covenant name. And he is not interested in being a a far-off, far-flung, detached deity, ruling at arm's length, but wants to be your shepherd. Do you you realize the the enormity of this? (laughs) Yahweh, the Creator God, the holder of all things, the one who named every star, counts every grain of sand, accounts for every drop of water, desires to be your shepherd. Which inherently means intimate relationship and tender care. It is an invitation to deep relationship with the Creator of the universe who is both sovereign and loving, who both rules with meticulous providence and is abounding in steadfast love. The incredible thought that God wants to be your shepherd and offers to be your shepherd should be arresting to us. God's desire is to bring us close to himself into intimate fellowship and to thus shepherd us towards his ends because he knows that will change everything about your life but the lord as your shepherd means you forsake having anything or anyone else as your shepherd doesn't it including your own attempts to be your own shepherd and i wonder who is your shepherd in this moment are you marked by the lord or by something else Is his ownership marked on you? You may know this, but shepherds will often mark their sheep through cutting a notch in their ear, or giving them a tattoo, or through ear tags. All of these processes are painful, both for the shepherd and for the sheep. But this is a necessary step because a shepherd must be able, right, to identify which sheep belongs to him, especially from a distance. If the Lord is to be your shepherd, you must suffer the pain of dying to self. Do you realize that? You, you must feel the loss of control over your own life and self-direction. You must give up the self-will lordship of your life, giving up what you want to do in favor of doing what the Lord tells you that you ought to do. You must take up your cross, deny yourself, and thus follow the leadership of the Lord. What may get lost in the familiarity of this psalm and even the first verse is that the Lord being your shepherd entails a renunciation of all other claimants that want to be your shepherd and to give your allegiance utterly to the Lord. You truly cannot have what follows in this psalm without first understanding that for the Lord to be your shepherd means for you to not be the shepherd. Philip Keller, he says it like this, It's a tragic truth that many people who really have never come under direction or management of the Lord claim that the Lord is my shepherd. They seem to hope that by merely admitting that he is their shepherd, somehow they will enjoy the benefits of his care and management without paying the price of forfeiting their own fickle and foolish way of life. One cannot have it both ways, either we belong or we don't. It takes a great humbling on our part for you and me to accept our roles as sheep, doesn't it? In need of a truer and better shepherd. That takes humility, and it takes humility and honesty to see that only the Lord fits the bill for a shepherd who will lead us to green pastures and still waters and right paths and safely through the darkest valleys. This means we do what we many cannot do, admit our weakness and need and frailty and inability to command our own lives. Martin Luther on this passage said this. He said, a sheep must live entirely by its shepherd's help protection and care as soon as it loses him it is surrounded by all kinds of dangers and must perish for it is quite unable to help itself the reason it is a poor weak simple little beast that can neither feed nor rule itself nor find the right way nor protect itself against any kind of danger or misfortune moreover it is by nature timid shy and likely to go astray When it does go a bit astray and leaves its shepherd, it's unable to find its way back to him. Indeed, it merely runs further away from him. Though it may find other shepherds and sheep, that does not help it, for it does not know the voice of strange shepherds. Therefore, it flees from them and strays about until the wolf seizes it or perishes it some other way. Still, however weak and small an animal a sheep may be, it nevertheless has this trait about it. It is very careful to stay near its shepherd. Take comfort in his help and protection and follow him however and wherever he may lead it. See, the picture of the shepherd is one that is multifaceted. It was used to speak of royalty, especially a king. It was an image that was simultaneously gentle while also communicating bravery and ruthlessness with those who would threaten the sheep. And this psalm speaks, doesn't it, to these multiple layers. Because you notice... This is a descriptive psalm, isn't it? It's a radical psalm of trust. And unlike most other psalms, go ahead and just read through it. There is no plea here, is there? The psalmist simply shows us what it looks like and what it means to have Yahweh as shepherd and what it looks like to come under his authority and care. Did you notice how deeply personal this all is? It isn't just the Lord is shepherd, right? It's that the Lord is what? My shepherd. Note this. There are no less than 27. This is six verses. There's 27 personal pronouns in six verses. 27. Look. Oh, look, at, look down. Let's look at them. Look at the ones. Let's look at the ones first where the psalmist refers to himself. Okay. And how it is the Lord who is doing these things for him. Look. Look down at your text. The Lord is my one shepherd. I, two, have what I, three, need. He lets me, four, lie down in green pastures. He leads me, five, besides quiet waters. He renews my, six, life. He leads me, seven, along the right path for his namesake. Even when I, eight, go through the darkest valley, I, nine, fear no danger. For you are with me, ten. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, eleven. You prepare a table before me, twelve, in the presence of my thirteen enemies. You anoint my, fourteen, head with oil. My, fifteen cup, overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me, sixteen. All the days of my, seventeen, life. And I, eighteen, will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I, nineteen, live. You see that? And even so, the focus is on what God does as shepherd for his people. Look again. Look down. But, but the person, look at the personal pronouns referring to Yahweh, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Do you see? So what does the psalm tell us that God does a shepherd for his people, for his sheep? He, first, he makes sure what they, they have what they need, right? Do you see that? Notice what it doesn't say in verse 1. It doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I want or crave or desire. Does it say that? Does it? It doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, and he'll give me what I want if I just have enough faith. Does it say that? It says what? The Lord is my shepherd, I what? Have what I need. See, God loves us as shepherd too much to give us everything we want do you hear that he loves us too much to give us what we want he is a good father and a good father doesn't give his children everything they crave right that wouldn't be loving would it as a father i know there are many times when my kids want to do things as you do as a parent that are inherently harmful to them in both short and long terms they might want ice cream for dinner. They might want to skip their veggies. They might want to stay up all night and rot their brains on phones or tablets or, or TV all the live long day. They might want to skip school, not go at all, and just sit on the couch instead. But if I gave them all that they wanted, if I gave them all of that, I wouldn't be a good father, would I? I wouldn't be loving my kids kids like sheep i'm sorry kids who aren't here don't always know what's good for them is that not true they don't know what's good for them not at all times if they got everything they wanted that would smell disaster in both the short and long term wouldn't it we too are like sheep for we do not always know what's best for us either do we y'all were louder when i was talking about kids but not so much when i was talking about you huh we don't. We don't always know what's best for us. But if we follow God as our shepherd, our father, he'll give us what? What does it say? What we need. Not always what we want, because we don't know what's best for us at all times, because what's best for us often pushes up against what we desire, and our desires are mostly misaimed. Because you know what the Bible says? Our hearts are dummies. Do you know that? What we fail to realize is that the Bible portrays our being given over to our desires and wants as being a bad thing. And a sign that God is punishing our rebellion, giving us everything we want. Is that not what Romans 1 says? Isn't that what Romans 1 says? Romans 1 says that those who rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled against God were finally just given over to their desires. And this is pictured as not paradise, not fullness of joy, but emptiness and futility and aimlessness and frustration. Sam Alberry puts it like this. When we try to visualize what God's wrath looks like, many of us imagine CGI from a disaster movie or think of lightning bolts falling from the sky. But Paul gives us a very different picture. We see God's wrath in this. He gives us what we want. What God as shepherd does is give us what we need. And it means satisfaction with what God has given us and how he leads and manages our lives. We have talked about at length grumbling, right, from Exodus. And it comes back around, doesn't it? Grumbling is a rejection of Psalm 23.1. One cannot both say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, while also grumbling. Because grumbling is proclaiming the opposite. It is saying, I want more, and you're not giving it to me. Is it not? It's pointing a finger at God and declaring him to be a bad shepherd because it's saying you would be a better shepherd than he is. It's to say, I don't have everything I desire, but I should. And God is withholding from me. Puritan Thomas Watson said it like this, murmuring is no better than mutiny in the heart. It is a riling up against God. When the sea is rough and unquiet, it calls forth nothing but foam. When the heart is discontented, it calls forth the foam of anger, impatience, and sometimes little better than blasphemy murmuring is nothing else but the foam that boils over from a discontented heart the one who truly has Christ as shepherd can say the Lord is my shepherd I have what I need and thus I am content because I have more than what I deserve do you see because where does the Lord's leadership take you what does this psalm say If you follow him, he will lead you to what? Green pastures, where you can lie down. If you follow him, he will lead you to quiet waters, where you will drink in abundance. (coughs) Excuse me. If you follow yourself or the world, you'll be led only to brown pastures and muddy, polluted water. See, it is the skilled and the wise shepherd who knows where the green grass grows. He knows where to lead the sheep so that they are well fed. The fact that they can lie down in green pastures means the grass is growing in abundance. They can lay down and feast. They don't have to keep moving or be alert for creeping dangers. The shepherd leads them to have plentiful food to where they can rest content in his provisions as he watchfully oversees them. But the shepherd also knows where to find the little pools of water that rocks trap where the shade provides protection from the sun's evaporating heat. That's what this is saying. He knows where to construct these small dams in order to hold water for the sheep to drink from to the full. Now, we may be used to rendering of verse 2a to be, he leads me beside still waters. Is that how you guys know it? with the kind of the picture of the wilderness full of rushing waters, but the shepherd knows where to get the calm ones, right? <clears throat> but that's likely not what's going on here. Okay, listen to what John Golden Gay says. This is, the traditional rendering still water makes sense in a European context where many rivers and streams run through the countryside. But in Middle Eastern wilderness, the speed of water, the streams, is not a problem, and the Old Testament makes no reference to it waters of restfulness is rather water by which the sheep may rest the idea being parallel to that of verse 2a the sheep may drink and lie down by the pool again knowing they could get up and have another the idea then of verse 2 is one of rest of contentment in the provisions and care of the shepherd and that rest You understand, it's more than bodily relaxation, but it carries with it the idea of protection from enemies and an environment in which life can thrive. It's a recognition and a gratefulness uh, in the care of the shepherd and an understanding that everything you have comes from his leadership and care. It's an understanding that without him, you have nothing. That's what verse 2 is communicating. But it is then a settled contentment and an acceptance of all that comes from his hand, rather than a constant chase for more and more and more, which brings no rest. You'll agree with me that ours is a society that views all that we have as something we achieved and almost never viewed as something we have received. You know that's fair to say? Is that not our society? We champion self-made people, don't we? And we look up to those who have achieved seemingly on their own. After all, who doesn't love a rags-to-riches story? We all love that junk, right? It's not the essence of the American dream that anyone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and become something. Is that not the American dream? That's exactly what it is. And when that happens, don't we celebrate and celebrate such people? We don't look at all we have. Don't... Don't don't we look at all we have, all that we've accumulated, and all that we've accomplished, and throw out our shoulders, patting ourselves on the back for all we did and achieved? You know, we do. Now, I'm not trying to discount hard work or anything like that, but look, everything you have is from the hand of a sovereign and benevolent God. Who gave you air? Vaughn and I worked really hard for this. I don't doubt that. Who gave air in your lungs? who put it there who gave you a brain to learn to process information for your job who gave you eyesight and hearing and strength in your legs and hands and arms who simply allowed you to wake up every day to go to your job it is God who leads you to what you need it is from the hand of a gracious and generous God that you have what you do But then the question is this, when you survey what God has given you, when you are led to the pools of waters and the green pastures, are you content? Are you content? Do you survey what you have and say, this is enough because God said it's enough? Or do you say, yes, this is good? But maybe if I had a little more, I'd be even happier. See, in our society, it's not simply enough for us to have what we need. The goalposts continue to move because we must accumulate more and more and more and more of what we desire or want or what we're told will make us happy or what will make our neighbors or coworkers or peers jealous. We need more and more and more and more, and we aren't content because we think if we just had more, then we will be happy. And yet, America, for all of its wealth and chances and technologies and opportunities and obsessions with happiness, has been found to be one of the most unhappy countries in the developed world. So is getting more and more working out for us? is it? Is it? The one who has the Lord as shepherd, they're content with what they have. They're happy with having him as shepherd, and they know that what they have is what they need, and every ounce of it is due to his grace and mercy. Do you know what happens to sheep that are ill-fed and hungry? Do you know? They're always on their feet. They don't lay down. These sheep, they're always on the move. They're always searching for another mouthful to try and satisfy their hunger, says Keller. Such sheep are not contented. They do not thrive. They're no use to themselves nor their owners. They languish and lack vigor and vitality. You know what else these sheep do? If they aren't provided good water, they'll search and find any water that they can find. And they'll drink it no matter how dirty or polluted it is. And it'll make them sick or even kill them is that not a fitting picture of a discontented life and a life without the Lord as shepherd all other shepherds lead to such things because no shepherd but the Lord leads to green pastures and quiet waters and a life of discontentment of constantly chasing the better and the more of being unsettled with what you have, of the misery because you lack what you think you deserve or because what you need isn't enough because you want more are all troublesome signs of, at best, a failure to follow the Lord as shepherd or worse, not having Him as shepherd at all. Those who follow the Lord as shepherd are content because, verse 3, they know through Him is where renewal is found. That to follow him means every path, no matter how treacherous it may seem, leads to their good. Why? Because of his name. Did you see that? Because of his character, because of his reputation. Nothing can be otherwise because he is faithful and good. And here's another phrase we might misunderstand or miss the full picture of. It says, he renews my life, right? Or he restores my soul is what you might uh, know it as. What's this mean? It means that Christ is shepherd both is the giver of life and that repentance on our part is followed by restoration on his. Ongoing repentance is thus a necessary component for a sheep in relationship with a shepherd. Fact is, is this true? Even sheep with the best shepherd can get themselves in trouble. Is that true? Keller points out, I didn't know this. He said that sheep can can become what's called cast. Which is they can flip onto their back and their feet stick up in the air. And, and they're just flailing about. And they, it's like turtle. They, they can't get themselves right. And this happens especially when sheep are at their fattest and most comfortable, right? <laughs> and, and unless the shepherd, you know, they're flailing about actually speeds up their demise. But unless the shepherd comes and flips them right. They'll die within hours or sometimes it takes days. And this this position also leaves them, as you can imagine, open to predator attacks to come and just prey on them because they can't run away. They're they're stuck. There's beauty in this picture. That shepherd knows his sheep and he goes and looks for them and comes and does what? He puts them back on their feet When he finds them in those dangerous positions keller says every time he would find he was a shepherd and every time he would find one of his sheep on their back like this he'd come and he'd talk to them he'd say something like when are you going to learn to stand on your own feet i'm so glad i found you in time and so in the conversation it would go always couched in language that combined tenderness and rebuke compassion and correction. Isn't that a fitting picture of us when we fall into sin? Isn't it? It's usually when we are metaphorically overstuffed and wandering away. When we indulge in sin and wander away from the past of the shepherd, we find ourselves inevitably in trouble. Is that not true? Y'all could speak, you know. And when we realize we've blown it, And we find ourselves in a position we aren't sure we can get out of. We can become cast and think there's no way God could want anything to do with us. We simply messed up too much. Oh, friend, do you see? It is then that Jesus, the great and good shepherd, comes alongside us. And he finds us because his eyes are ever watchful. And he comes and he kneels beside us and says, let me put you back on your feet again. Now you see where you're following your own past leads. Follow me once more, for only this way can you be met with green pastures and still waters. We find ourselves in the worst of scenarios, no matter how big we might have think we've blown it, if we would simply cry out to him in repentance, he will come and put us back on our feet again. He will renew our life. He will restore our soul. Then he will lead us along the right path. And the right path, our path of obedience to the shepherd to follow his voice and his direction and his will. And you do this, what? For his name's sake. Which means not only for his glory but because because of his name. Which carries with it his promise and character. In other words, you follow him wherever he leads you because you trust his faithfulness. And his care. Knowing that wherever his path goes, it will lead to your renewal and your good. Doesn't this include walking through the darkest valleys? Does it? You don't have to fear. Why? What's it say? Because you know he is present with you. There with you. Having traversed the path before you. See, the good shepherd not only knows where the green pastures are and the quiet waters are, he knows that to get to the top of the mountain, you must go through the dark valleys. And while this verse has been, hasn't this verse, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, used mostly in funeral settings, isn't that where you've heard it? I bet you have. For the one who has died, right? This verse says that the shepherd, what's it say? Leads you What? Through the darkest valley. He does not leave you in the valley of death. He has no intention of letting you die there. He intends to take you through the valley to the other side and up to the highest mountain, you understand. No one, no one wants to go through dark valleys. Isn't that true? Who would want that? We want to see the sun. We want to be safe. We don't want to encounter what the valleys have to offer. You know what lurks in dark valleys? And what dark valley brings? the Coyotes and bears and wolves and cougars and storms and floods, rock slides and mud and snow and avalanche and sleet and freezing rain. Who wants to endure that? But friend, don't you see that it is only through these dark valleys that we can get to the highest plains? That's the point here. Is this not a fitting parable for the Christian life? Friend, you must realize that growth only comes through the painful experiences found in the dark valleys. Do you know that? So many say they want to grow but never want to change or be uncomfortable. So many Christians want to get up to the plains but avoid the valleys. Or worse, they waste their valleys and become bitter and miserable grumps. You know, even if you haven't read the books... I've seen the movies, you know know the premise of the Lord of the Rings, right? You know the basic premise. There's this ring that is incredibly powerful and it needs to be destroyed. So the Dark Lord does not get it. The ring is so powerful that if you put it on, it changes you. Because it magnifies your ego. Well, at one point, Frodo's companion Samwise puts the ring on. And I want you to listen to how Tolkien describes it. He says, all things around him were not dark, but vague. While he himself was there in a gray, hazy world alone like a small, black, solid rock. Tim Keller says about this, suffering can do that too. It can make you and your needs the only solid, real thing. And all other concerns, vague, hazy, and unimportant. This self-absorption can make you unable to give, receive, or feel love. There's a numbness, a fixation on what is happening to you. You make... May be unable to get over yourselves and think of, serve, or love others, or even feel loved by others. For some, the dark valleys do this. They draw them inward. Their biggest task seems to be to get out as soon as possible without stopping to wonder how they can grow through it, how to leverage it for their own good and for the glory of God. So, what happens? They waste their trials. They waste their valleys. And the irony of it is that while they're in a hurry to get out of the valley and up to the peak, they never get to the peak. They weren't focused on, I fear no danger for you are with me. They find no comfort in his rod and his staff. They don't grow at all because they never truly leaned on the shepherd. I mean, if you imagine going through a dark and scary valley, you can't really see there are all kinds of strange noises that spook you and the shepherd just keeps saying, "It's okay, I got you. Just follow my voice and we'll get to the green pastures on the other side on the hilltop. I promise." But instead of trusting his voice, you get so worked up in the lather, you just bolt back to where you came from. To where you see the rays of the sunshine. And what's happened? Not only did you not make it to the peak, you went backwards. All because you trusted your own feelings rather than the voice of the shepherd. We can be just like that in trials, can't we? If we aren't careful and intentional and leaning on the grace and might of our sovereign shepherd. But those who trust in the sovereign leadership of Christ as shepherd and truly know all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They see the dark valleys. and While they don't wish to stay in there, They do realize that endurance through them and leaning on the care of their shepherd and trusting in his heart and his namesake, they will experience growth and maturity. Let's go back to Lord of the Rings for a minute. This time, jump to the return of the king. As Frodo and Sam delve ever closer to Mordor to complete their mission, the darkness seems to be deepening the further they travel, as you can imagine. If you know the story, you know that trouble lurks behind every corner, right? Um, It seems constant, never stops. Well, as our travelers are weary and in need of rest, Frodo falls asleep almost immediately. But Sam is too troubled by the growing darkness to sleep. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like the darkness in your life, the pain, the trials of your life? It's too dark to sleep. That's how he felt. But listen to what Tolkien writes. He says, far above the ethel duoth, in the west the night sky was still dim and pale. There, peeping among the cloud rack above, tore high up in the mountains, Sam saw a bright star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the dark forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty far beyond its reach. See, the sheep following the good shepherd can sleep well in the darkest valleys, so to speak, because they know that he's there too. Did you notice that in verse 4, look again at your Bibles. Do you see the language shifts from the Lord and he to you? In one, and one through three, it's he lets me lie down. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path. But now it's what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, the gospel's right there, isn't it? The shepherd doesn't just lead you to a dark valley and stop and point and say, go that way and it'll lead you up, good luck. No, this shepherd has himself been through a valley so dark that you could never even imagine the pain and anguish and loss. You just If you have your Bible, look up at Psalm 22, and it foreshadows all of that. Look at it. You've heard these words before, haven't you? Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is this not the very words of Christ on the cross? Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Is this not what people were shouting to Christ on the cross as they were mocking the Savior of the world? Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They what? They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, which is exactly what happened at the cross. Jesus is the shepherd who leads you through dark valleys, and he has not only been there, He's with you when you are going through them too. Is that what verse 4 in Psalm 23 says? Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Why? Because I'm brave and awesome? Because I could do this on my own? What's it say? I could go through the darkest valley. I fear no danger. Why? You're with me. See, having him with us is more than, the pres, uh, than presence or feeling. It signifies action on his part. He plans to act. And if he is your shepherd, regardless if you feel like he's with you, he's there. Friend, his promises are more solid guide than your feelings are every time. You could be going through the darkest days and say, but I don't feel like God is with me. I don't feel like he's with me. Have you ever been there? I bet you have. I just don't feel like God is with me. But that's not the most important thing. Your feelings betray you. He is there. He promised he would be. He went through them before you. And remember verse 3? He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. His name, his character, all testify to you the promise of his presence. I mean, I'm feel like he's there, but he is because he promised he would be. And his character is such that he cannot lie. Now, you see in verse 5, there's a shift in there. The metaphor changes. (coughs) Excuse me. We went from the Lord is shepherd, and now what? The Lord is banquet host. But the picture of verse 5 is very similar to verse 2, isn't it? In that the Lord brings you in and provides to you in abundance. But here, there's safety, even in the location, because the enemies are what? They're just sitting outside, observing you being fed. Your cup is overflowing. The host anoints your head with oil, which, by the way, we can mix our metaphors here, because that's exactly what shepherds do for wounded sheep. And what's so great about this is you look at verse 6, and you see how he says that only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all my days. If you read, you've you've probably all read through the Psalms, right? Read all the way through the Psalter. This language of pursuit, you see it all the time, don't you? And it's a very strong word. Our our English word, pursue, does not do it justice. But in most of all the other Psalms, this word of pursuit is used for enemies pursuing the psalmist relentlessly in order to seek harm or death, right? But what do we have here? Now, is it enemies that pursue you? It is goodness and loving kindness are personified and they relentlessly chase you. They pursue the one who has the Lord as their shepherd. Don't you see that goodness and loving kindness really have been personified? They they find their completion in Jesus himself. And do you see, friend, that he pursues you. We all, Isaiah 53 says, like sheep, have what? We've gone astray, every one of us. And creator God has come to pursue us, to invite us to his table, if you guys were Pentecostal, you'd be doing laps in the aisles right now. You'd be sprinting in the parking lot. Do you see this? He comes to pursue you, to invite you to his table, to have an overflowing cup, to anoint your head with oil. And for how long? Verse 6. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. As if the Lord as shepherd isn't arresting enough. Consider the fact that we are so rebellious and fallen that we have been alienated utterly from God. We don't deserve him as shepherd. We deserve to be treated like trespassers. And so sinful are we that we couldn't even pursue or find God if we looked even on our best day. We don't deserve to be brought in. We deserve to be shut out and crushed and hanging out with the enemies that are looking in. What does Psalm 23 tell us? that God takes the initiative to pursue us and he gets a hold of us. He becomes our shepherd and he brings us into his very house and he sits us at his best table and he vindicates us and he fills us to the full. Is that not incredible? See, we want to make this psalm a funerary song. But this song is not about death, it's about life, don't you see it? Will we enjoy a banquet at the wedding supper of the Lamb one day at the end of the age? Of course we will. Absolutely we will. But don't cast off the benefit of knowing Christ as shepherd and party host right now. That's what this psalm is promising. Don't miss out on the wholeness and meaning and purpose and value that Jesus brings to you if you would but give your life to Him and admit your helpless and wandering sheep and follow His leading. Philip Keller said once more the stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient sheep that persists in pursuing its old paths and grazing on its old polluted ground will end up a bag of bones on ruined land. But those who give up their self-willed ways and follow the true shepherd will find fullness of life as he pursues them in the person of Jesus. You know, Some of you are trying to be your own shepherd. Some of you are trying to keep hold of the reins of your life. And some of you want to cast off the leadership of the Lord, thinking you can both have Christ as your shepherd and follow your own path. For some of you that's true. Some of you are chasing food in every field the world tells you to. Every brown puddle you think will refresh you and you've come up empty. But you keep chasing anyway. And some of you are walking through dark valleys and are fearful and anxious. And you don't know where to go. If any of those fit you, the answer is the same, do you see? You see that goodness and faithful love are pursuing you. And they have a name. And his name is Jesus. And he is offering to be your shepherd. Will that magically fix all your problems? No. Will coming to Jesus as shepherd and Lord make you whole and simultaneously full and wanting more? Absolutely it will. Will he free you from dark valleys? No, but he's been there. And he will lead you through them to higher peaks. And when your legs give out, he'll put you on his shoulders and bring you safely to the other side. If you bend your knee to Christ who came and walked through the darkest valley that ever existed in order for you to have a truer and better shepherd, you could say, truly, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need, because you'll have Jesus and he's all that you need. In him, where life is found in abundance, from him flows living water that quenches all thirst, he is true food and true bread of life. He is the right path as the way, the truth, and the life. He's everything. Don't you see? He's goodness. He is mercy. He's loving kindness. He is the house of the Lord. He is life. Christ is all. Can I ask you, friend, is the Lord your shepherd? Is he? Truly? Truly. Truly. We all want to say yes, right? Because we're supposed to say yes. There's no need for pageantry or ritual or fakery just now. Is the Lord your shepherd? You walked into this building today. You found a chair you're sitting down in. You sat down. The chair is holding your weight, and it's clear, right? As for your life and hopes and joy, who is presently bearing the weight for your life? And for your hopes and your fulfillment. Are you? Is your spouse? Are your kids? Are your possessions? Is someone or something else? Go to Christ today. He's pursuing you. Call on Him and He'll be your shepherd and He'll be all you need and more. Let Him bear the weight and be your guide, finding Him your all in all. And if Jesus truly, if you really can say He's your shepherd today, praise God. Throw yourself once more on him and restate today in your heart your commitment to follow him no matter the path. Now allow me to close. I want to read to you Isaac Watts, paraphrase Psalm 23 in 1719. And I think it beautifully captures its spirit. And then we'll pray. And then we're going to sing this psalm together. Okay? So let me read this to you and then we'll pray. He said, my shepherd, you supply my need. Most holy is your name. In pastures fresh you make me feed beside the living stream. You bring my wandering spirit back when I forsake your ways. You lead me for your mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. When through the shades of death I walk, your presence is my stay. One word of your supporting breath drives all my fears away. Your hand in sight of all my foes does still my table spread. My cup with blessing overflows, your oil anoints my head your sure provisions gracious god attend me all my days O oh, may your house be my abode and all my work be praise here would i find a settled rest while others go and come no more a stranger nor a guest but like a child at home